Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. You know, we've been in our series in John 17, but we're taking a bit of a hiatus uh, today. We weren't going to, but um, we're going to come back to that. Don't worry. But uh, Mother's Day, big, big, big day. July 1st it was, 1993, Appleton, Wisconsin, when I became not a mother, but, but a dad. And, you know, I've been hoping to do that and planning. I mean, I was, I've always looked forward to having kids. Way before I was married, I always wanted to be a dad that was kind of, that was kind of the goal. And so when Teresa and I did the little thingy and there were two dots instead of one dot, you know, I was like, wow. You know, we were so, so excited. And so as we're leading up to the big day, you know, I'm packed, all the stuff packed up like six, six weeks before we're supposed to go, just in case, you know, we got baby books and, and we got video cameras and tripods and this was before the digital craze, so we got all this extra film thrown in there and clothes and different color clothes just in case, because you never really know. We had just had all this stuff, we needed, needed like an 18-wheeler to get to the hospital, you know, but we were all set, we were ready to go. And then when the morning came where Therese was induced with our, our first one, and I know when we, we got there and I was just so... I was, I was pumped, man. Give me the popcorn. I'm ready. Let's, let's go. This is going to be great. And, and as uh, they hooked this thing up to Therese that kind of showed her contractions, you know, you know and the, when they would come and the intensity in which they came. And the more the intensity rose there, the more the intensity rose in me. I was like, whoa, whoa, we're getting close. This is good. And we're getting closer, I know, because the nurses all started coming in and taking the bed apart and bringing all this stuff in. And, and they someone pushed a button somewhere. And out of the ceiling, this mirror comes down, you know. So I guess just in case Teresa's in her right mind at this point in history, she could kind of look up and watch what was going on. But but we're, I'm, I'm, this is great. I'm going, oh, man, this is fantastic. I've got the cameras rolling now and, and things are all right. And the doctor walks in and he starts talking to Teresa and he says, he's a little Filipino man, excellent doctor, but he'd say, okay, Teresa, we need you to push. Okay, push. Now, now my intensity level, see, that wasn't working, that wasn't going to go, and so I'm, I'm just freaking, and all of a sudden, the head crowns, I'm like, whoa, oh, it's a head, my baby's got a head, yeah. <laughs> wow, this is great, and the doctor's, Teresa, push, and I'm like, push, push, come on, the head, so I'm just screaming, push, push. And all of a sudden, Therese, you could, she gets this distorted look on her face. And you hear, shut up! And the nurses, the doctor, I was, and you had that little monitor on her, the baby's heart. Well, shortly after that, we had a baby, and I was the dad. Yay, I was the dad. And it didn't take me too long down the road before I started going, oh, baby, what have I gotten myself into? Oh, man, no going back now. And you know, it's, it's fascinating because when you, when you think about the parent deal, you realize that there is, there's no dress rehearsal for this, right? I mean, you, you know, the, 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 when it happens, it is there, and it's no gimmies, do it over type thing. It's, it's happening. The lights are on, the, the, the curtain is pulled, and, and it, it's going. And, and when they're little, you think there's all kinds of, of grains of sand. We got plenty of time. But the grains just keep on falling. And sooner or later, they're gonna be out. And, and how you did, it's going to make a world a difference. And so let me ask parents of young children, how are you doing? Now, I'm not asking, I'm not, I'm not asking, are you sincere? 
or do you love the child or will you sacrifice for the child? Of course, of course, of course. But, but are you parenting with skill? You know, the word that scripture uses for this is chokmah. You gotta love the word. Kind of, you gotta get the throat thing going, chokmah. Okay? It means wisdom. And skill, it's a key, key word in the book of, of Proverbs. And we're gonna be doing a series in the fall on Proverbs. But, but the skill is, is, it's word, wisdom. It's not a word that's used for somebody who's good at what they do. It's a word that's used for someone who's really good at what they do. It's somebody that you look at them and you go, whatever they're doing, whether they're LeBron or whatever, you look at them and you go, I'm sure they've worked hard and they've practiced and they've read up and all those things, but there's a gift there. You know, there's just a, a something that was just kind of, God just kind of gifted. And with parenting, same thing. Parenting and wisdom, skill, you would look at such a parent and you'd go, that's just like a gift there thing. And so let me ask, uh, not do you love them, but are you parenting with skill? And you might say, well, yeah, I'm here, but I don't know how you get here. I'm hoping so. I won't really know until 18 years down the road, right? But I'm, I'm trusting. I, I don't know. What do you do if you want the skill, you want the wisdom? Do you, do you find a Dobson person and just sit at the feet of some massive celebrity who is going to be able to, to get you there? Again, we're, we're keeping in mind that, that wisdom and skill from God is not the same as love for God, right, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But, but wisdom, skill, it's not, not the same thing as I love him. It goes got a little bit beyond that. And so how do you get this? That's, would pay anything for it, right? Well, well, author of Proverbs 30 says, you don't need to sit at the feet of some massive celebrity. You need to stop, look down at what's around your feet because there's four mentors, really insignificant looking things. You can look by them in a second. But if you, if you look at these mentors that God has placed in our life and we apply the lessons from them. I mean, look, look at the Proverbs 30. If you got your Bibles turned, Proverbs 30. Or you got your phone or your iPad or whatever you got. Proverbs 30. Uh, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. He did not write them all. Uh, This proverb is written by a guy named Agur. We don't know a whole lot about Agur. But verse 24. Look what he says. Four things on earth are small. That doesn't... Just mean little, though it means little. Insignificant, right? That's where you're going to go. Um, easy to look over. But they are exceedingly wise. You know, there's no word in Hebrew for exceedingly. You know, the way they say exceedingly wise is they use the word twice. It's chokmah, chokmah. You know, wise, wise, twice wise, very, very wise, more than just once wise, really wise, exceedingly wise. There's the epitome of wisdom. I think this, this is, we need to take special note here because God says there are four things in life that are very wise. But you got to be careful because you could overlook these. You got to overlook them. Uh, you can overlook them. And so to get the lesson down from these four, I think can transform our parenting. Now, now hear me for just a second. Let's just say you're a grandparent. This will work for you. Let's just say you're single or the forget the concept of influence of kids. You need to know the context here is not children. We're kind of applying that because it's Mother's Day. 
But this is life principles. So this works all over the board. So, so wherever you are, whatever you're into right now, this will work for you. The first mentor, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Now we looked at the ants a couple weeks ago. But there's a lot here about ants. You know, ants, it says they're not, they're not strong. But actually, relatively speaking, ants are very strong. Uh, ant can carry 10 to 50 times its weight. That's like a 150-pound man carrying 1,500 to 7,500 pounds. I mean, ants are relatively speaking very strong. But comparatively speaking... They're, they're just ants, right? I mean, yeah, it's a big old breadcrumb he's got, but it's just a honking breadcrumb, and you can just stomp 15 of these things and don't even know it. So they're, they're small, but they're not lauded because of their strength. They're lauded because they know what time it is. They, they, they don't, this, I think these guys are great because they don't have a watch, they don't have a calendar, but they know that winter's coming. And, and, and one thing about winter is once it gets here, the ant knows there's no looking for food anymore. I mean, I mean, you only have in the winter what you've brought into it. It's not good to have winter show up and then say, well, I think I'm going to go look for food. That's too late. The only thing you have in a crisis is what you've brought into it. For, for us, the issue is, is the winter is coming. We all know that, but sometimes we just pretend like it's not. We figure, you know, ignoring it and neglecting. Denial is a good strategy, right? So we just kind of pretend it's never going to happen. But when it happens... If we're not prepared for it, you very seldom do you learn something in a crisis in the winter time that you didn't learn ahead of time. Um, you see, if, you, if you're walking down the street and three guys are going to try to mug you, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to where's that? I'm going to where's my app? I'm going to figure out how to do karate." You know, it's not a good time to try to figure out how to do karate. They're not going to let you figure it out. It's going to be all done. You should have learned karate, right, months, years previous, but that's not a good time. Once the crisis hits, what sustains us, what helps us get to the other side, is our understanding of our God based on his word. Uh, crisis, God can use it to mold us and make us, but I'm just telling you, and you know this, if you walk into it spiritually bankrupt, then when you walk out the other side, you're more spiritually bankrupt. You are angry and you are uh, frustrated and hating and blaming God. And yeah, God can do the exception thing and somebody can meet him there. But generally speaking, we get out of the winter what we've brought into it. Ants know this. Ants also know this. They know that not only is the winter coming, but the summer is fleeting. They know that they are running low on time. Uh, moms and dads with the brain of an ant realize that the, the hourglass is turned, the time with their kids is ticking, they'll be gone. Three of my guys are gone now. They, they've left home. I've got one daughter left, two years, and this has been on my mind a lot the last few weeks, especially, is, okay, I've got her for just a couple years left. Oh God, how do you, what do you want me to do? May I not let this time go. May I not teach me to number my days that I may incline my heart unto wisdom. And so a dad with mom with the brain of an ant recognizes, this is what they recognize, real important, that the church is not going to disciple my kids. 
This is huge. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. Well, you, this is amazing. And these words that I command you, that's to, not the church, it's to the individual. That I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Whose job is it to teach the children? And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It's the parent's job. And a mom or dad with the brain of an ant recognizes that my job isn't just to drop my kid off and let the church disciple them. We'll do the best we can. You know, it's interesting. Our curriculum that we use in our children's department is called Orange. Orange. And the way they come up with this title is they go, red is the parents, yellow is the church. But when we combine it together, when the church is working to to support and assist and augment the parents and what they're teaching, orange, there's there's something that will work here. Um, Let me mention this too, dads, moms, the best way to disciple your kids, best, best way. The best, best way is right here. You've got, you got a pen. You want to write this down. Best way. It's not in a curriculum. And it's not in, in, a, in a silver bullet method. Best way to disciple them is out of the overflow. The best way to disciple your kids is out of the overflow from your personal walk. If you don't disciple them out of the overflow, then it's stale, it's legalistic, it's, it's pharisaical, and guess what they learn? That's what they get. But when we spend time with them, the best thing, if you can only have a little bit of time, most important way you can disciple your kids is just be alone with God. And be in his word and be listening to him and say, train yourself to be godly. I'm not going to just check a box here and do my Bible reading. God, I want to meet you. I want to know you. And you know what? No one else may see this. But I can guarantee you, your children will see this. And your children will understand what's important. If it's important to mom and dad, maybe it's pretty important. And you will disciple just by your model. Now, you can augment that. Great. We need to do that. But a parent with the brain of an ant realizes that, that uh, oh, winter's on its way, that summer's fleeting, and they live accordingly. There's another, another mentor that, that uh, God says we have. Verse uh, 26 The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. Rock badgers. These are uh, called conies sometimes, or hyrixes. They're just a small mammal about the size of a a rabbit. Uh, They're shy, quiet creatures. They've got like zero defense. You know, they can do like nothing. They can't run real fast. They can't. So they know if we're going to survive here, man, we got to stay by the rocks. And when the mountain lion comes after us, they kind of shimmy their body down into the crevices where the thing can't get them. Uh, a, 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 a person with the brain of a coney recognizes this. They recognize their weakness and God's security, God's strength, and what, what he provides, what, what he brings. He, he, he protects me. Now, just, just look at our, our need for, for uh, the rock here. Psalm. There we go, 18.2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Next. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. Next. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And it's talking about the Israelites when they were in the desert. And Paul says, and they drank from the same, spirit, the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. It's a metaphor that God likes for himself. But, but, but here's the deal. Often, I grew up in the church. I'm just kind of speaking from my experience. Um, and don't claim me a heretic yet. Hear me out for a second. Theology is not the same thing is security, right? Theology of God is not the same thing as security in God. We go to our, our Bible studies, I've been to a ton of Bible studies, taught a million Bible studies, and often, I mean, theology is, is the sign. It's like, you know, rock, 20 miles, it's, it's the sign. But often the Bible studies become us talking about the sign, us debating the sign. You know, it says rock 20 miles, but I think it's actually 20.1 miles. In the Hebrew, it says rock 20.3 miles, actually. And so it says, well, I don't know about that. You know, back in the day, the, the road to the rock was just, you know, it was, it was hard. It was windy. But, but today, it's all paved. And someone else, you know, when there's the sign, it's got a different color on the other side. I wonder what that means. And we, and we talk about the sign, the rock, the theology. And then we leave. And we come back next week for our next Bible study. You know what we do? We talk and we debate all about the sign. It's a nice And we leave. And we, it goes on year after year after year. Such people, they know, they know the rock. But what they don't know is they don't know their weakness. Now, here's, here's my wondering. Maybe some of us have come to know Christ. We trust in Christ. But we started, I don't know, thinking that we're Stronger than what we are, wandering a little bit away from the rock. You know, you're never going to see a, a, a Coney in Planet Fitness, you know, pumping iron. Because even the most buff Coney is a wimp. He's going to get clobbered. And if, in fact, the Coney says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm tired of running, man. I'm, <laughs> not me anyway. I'm going to take on that mountain lion. I'm going to show him who's the boss. Well, you know what? You know what we'll do? We'll eulogize that, that honk and Coney at, at some memorial service uh, for being this great, brave, or maybe foolish thing. Coney's no, no coward. He just understands that he's weak. And if you don't understand your weakness, you're never going to run to the rock. You will never realize that you need to hide in the rock. And you know, mom and dad, that there are a lot, a lot, a lot of enemies. You know, busyness, procrastination, cat videos, uh, just you, you, you can just you can just temptations. There's a gazillion. There's a gazillion enemies. Time, time can be an enemy. And, and if we wander, we think we can just manage this on our own. Uh, we're just going to end up having scars and issues and regret that we don't need to have. You know, if you went to a Goni convention and they did their last uh, closing hymn at the convention, it would be. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide 
myself. And because uh, a, a rock badger understands their weakness in God's security. They stay close. They stay close. There's an incredible lesson in parenting there. Stay close. There's a third mentor we've got. It says the locusts, they have no king, yet all of them march and rank. They have no king. The big thing about the, the locusts, if you think, look at this, it's, it's, it's not that they don't have somebody, they don't have somebody telling them, you need to do this, you need to do it. They just know. And when God looks at these locusts who just know that their survival is, is based on community, God says, extremely wise. I mean, one stupid grasshopper, right? He's not going to give you a whole lot of trouble. But you put a bunch of those guys together and you got some issues, right? You, you, you have some issues. Uh, 2000, I think, a uh, locust plague I mean, this is like modern day stuff. This wasn't just a long time ago. It was one of the ten plagues. This is this goes beyond that. Two thousand, a locust plague hit Australia, did uh, almost five hundred million dollars in uh, damage. In nineteen, where is it? Eighty eight, eighty nine. Uh, plague of locusts emerged over North Africa. Listen to this. North Africa, Middle East, and Asia, eventually impacting one-fifth of the land mass of the earth. 1875, this was in the States. There was a locust swarm from uh, Minnesota to Texas. And it it says this. I'm quoting from the National Center for Case Study, Teaching, and Science. Says one eyewitness account of the interaction between homesteaders and the locusts comes from Laura Engels Wilder, author of the Little House on the Prairie series, which chronicles life in the mid 1880s on the Great Plains. In her book On the Banks of Plum Creek, she describes the intensity of these locust swarms. Says a cloud was over the sun. It was not like any cloud they had ever seen before. It was a cloud of something like snowflakes and thin and glittering. Light shone through each flickering particle. There was no wind, the grasses were still, and the hot air didn't stir, but the edge of the cloud came across the sky faster than did the wind. The hair stood up on Jake's neck. All at once he made a frightful sound up at that cloud, a growl and a whine. Plunk. Something hit Laura's head and fell to the ground. She looked down and saw the largest grasshopper she'd ever seen. Well, the cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was grasshoppers. Their bodies hid the sun and made darkness. Their thin, large wings gleamed and glittered. The rasping, whirling of their wings filled the whole air, and they hit the ground in the house with the noise of a hailstorm. And look what it it says. It says, The largest of the swarms covered a swath equal to the combined areas of Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. That's a lot of grasshoppers, right? When they were done eating, $275 billion in damage done. If these guys by themselves, eh, eh, we used to catch them, you know, and they would, they couldn't do anything to you. Spit tobacco, we called it. Who knows what it really was? I don't want to know. But, but, but that was it. But you get this big of a group and you've got some major major uh, trouble locusts understand the power of community a parent with the brain of a locust realizes that their survival 
is dependent on community. I know Teresa and I, uh, we, we, especially when the kids were little, we were in lots of different groups, uh, growing kids, God's way. We did lots of different s- stuff. And in all honesty, incredibly grateful. I wasn't exactly sure how to be a dad. I'm not so sure my bride knew a whole lot more than me. But, but when we went through this, it was like, okay, this gave us some stuff. You know, when you're, when you're with others and you're saying, I don't know what I'm doing, you can use the collective wisdom, collective insight. You're saying, I think I'm screwing up my kids here. And they're saying, yeah, you probably are, but don't worry about it. They're resilient. Or, or you can say, I'm not sure what to do with this one. They'll say, well, here's something I tried. You know, you've got a collective Understanding, okay, that's great. I should try that. Okay, I'll calm down. Uh, but when you're on your own, this is the, 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 the reality. When we're on our own doing parenting, doing anything, you will, you might be a good mom or dad, but you're never going to be what you could have been. Hence, your kids will never get what they could have gotten. Over the years, I've had different uh, groups that I was a part of. Uh, Today, I've got a guy in Texas that calls me every once in a while. I call him. I've got a friend here in town. He's not afraid to uh, ask me anything. And uh, if we try to do Christianity on our own, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is so interesting. You've got a personal faith, but you don't have a private faith. Hope you know that. That uh, Jesus sent out his disciples in twos. Apostle Paul. You'd think Apostle Paul, a big, strong guy. Apostle Paul, every missionary journey, you know, he never went it alone. He went with a team. He had a team in prison with him. He had a team everywhere he, he went. He was constantly talking about his companions. He knew what the locusts know. My survival is dependent on, on team. Jesus himself, he goes into Gethsemane. He brings his apostles with him. He goes deep into Gethsemane, leaves them at the door, but takes three of them with him. As, as, he, as he goes. It's interesting. The word saints in the Bible is never found in the singular. The word you in the Bible is only found in the singular a few times. We've got a, a community because God knew from the beginning that, that our survival is dependent on our commitment to unity. Now, this is not an infomercial for our life groups or for our men's ministry, or for our women's ministry. But I'm just telling you, this is why we have these things. Not because churches have these things, and it's a cool thing to have. Because it's in community that it's the best catalyst for growth. It's the best catalyst for being who God wants us to be. And when you see someone who understands community, parents who understand community, even though busy is who knows what, who's got time for that, um, God says, extremely wise extremely wise there's a fourth mentor we've got here this is a lizard you can take in your hands yet it's in the king's palaces the lizard the lizard that's a little lizard uh, this one looks pretty cute doesn't he he's got nice little stripes and he looks, but, but he's got that toe thing going on and you know when you want to grab, you know, unless you're like in Florida where they're all over the place, you just don't really want to. Now, most lizards don't require a tranquilizer gun or nets. Very few of them have teeth. Very few of them are poisonous. Most lizards are itty bitty things, harmless, 
insignificant things. You kind of grab it up, stare at it for a while, and then kind of throw it to the side and just keep keep going. Lizards are, are, if anything, disadvantaged, aren't they? I mean, just look at the way they look. He's not winning any beauty contests soon. Not too many people say, well, that's a good-looking lizard. You know, lizards are just kind of disadvantaged. In parenting, perhaps, you feel incredibly disadvantaged. You know what? The home, my home of origin. Oh man, let me tell you about it. Not only that, I did some pretty stupid things in my past, and I've got I got some things that haunt me. I don't. I'll never be able to do it well. I've got some some scars from different things. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. I'm a, I'm a a lizard. But it's interesting. This lizard is lauded because he knows where to be. He ends up in king's palaces. He's got no royal blood, but he's in king's palaces. You know, uh, my, my dad, uh, his background, very, very awful. I mean, it's just awful background. He well, went to be with, with the Lord in 99, but, but terrible upbringing. And uh, I'm sure God was mentioned often as, in his house, but it was always as a swear word. And I remember going there as a little boy, his, all of his relatives, huge family, incredibly poor, and they would all sit around together, little kids and everybody, smoking or chewing tobacco, um, um, filthy language. They weren't trying, I don't think, to, to be crude. It's just what life was. My dad came out of that, um, didn't have a whole lot of, of good role models, spiritual upbringing. But I, I watched my dad when he came to know Christ. And you know, it was, it was amazing. If you're going to disciple someone out of the overflow, this is the, this is the picture. Because my dad didn't know how to disciple anybody, but I would watch my dad, who watched you know three or four hours of TV every night, sit there in his chair, but forget the TV. He read the Bible regularly. My dad would talk to us about the Bible, but not trying to come up with a lesson. It's just something God was teaching him. I watched my dad, little boy, I remember watching my dad uh, in the car with some of these guys from work sharing Christ with them. And I remember, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I uh, remember him. Uh, he led. He's got like 10 brothers and sisters. Led them all to Christ. Just about all, anyway. Uh, and you got to know, he didn't sit so okay, let's talk about how you lead people to Christ right now and how you read the Bible. I just watched him. And my dad still had lots of baggage. And he still was not going to you know, win shiny clean dad of the year award in any major contest. But in my mind, as a little boy, I watched him. It's, oh man, this is important to my, this is, this Incredible, indelible mark. When you understand, Ephesians 6, this is so good to me. Ephesians 6, Paul tells the Ephesians, obviously Ephesians 6, he says, he says to the dads, he says, don't exasperate your kids. Instead, raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, what's amazing about these Ephesians is they're all for, none of them grew up in Jewish homes. These are like all Gentile guys, vast majority of them. None of them had any understanding of Christianity. They had terrible backgrounds. They had incredible pagan baggage that they were carrying. They had all of them feel like I'm so unqualified to disciple anybody. And, and, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says, you, moms and dads, have been given this task by God. Do it. 
do it. And you need to know, regardless of what you're thinking, your ability or inability, if you walk close to God, God has given you, those kids, with you the primary task of, of raising them. You know, when your kids leave home, um, they're going to have two bags with them. They're going to have a bag of memories and fun times and traditions. You know, these are the things you share uh, with your children today. You know, the things that, that, just fun things. And then they're going to have a bag of godliness, character, development. And here's the deal. Guess who's packing those bags for them? You as the parent are. And you can't decide, I'm not going to pack those because I'm just too busy. We're going to go into neglect mode or you know, let someone else do it. Let the school pack them. No, no, no. You are packing them. It's the way God has set things up. It's just, what are you packing? And they're going to leave home with those things. And those are the things that they're going to take into life. And that's going to be what kind of guides them through, through life. And so what are you packing? It's real important that we don't just pack the fun stuff. That's a good bag we need to have. We, we need to pack it full. But to the neglect of spiritual disciplines, we don't want to do that. And on the other hand, you don't want to just be packing biblical stuff. Every time you talk to your kid, it's another sermon, it's another Bible study, you're going to talk about Elijah again. What they're going to do, if you don't speak their fun language at some point, what they're going to do is they're going to either become legalists or they're going to have such a disdain for this. Uh, and, And so you need to pack them both. You need to pack them both. And recognizing that as you do, you know, your time's running out. The grain's falling. It's going. But as, as, as you do, you're building into the next generation. My mom was so imperfect. My dad was so imperfect. But God used them so much in my life. Uh, we want to be a spiritual rock star. And we've we just fallen this side of the world. But God's grace is so good. Here's, I think, the best thing about the lizard. He's a pitcher of God's grace. He ends up in a king's palace. He's got no royal blood. He shouldn't be there. He's got nothing that he's earned that spot. He's he's there purely by grace. God would call us into his kingdom. Let me say this. If you're a mom or dad, and you know what? You have never trusted Christ. Everything that I just said really is kind of irrelevant because it really starts here. As you surrender your life to Christ, as you understand and accept his, his grace, that he died in your place for your sin, you don't deserve it, you don't earn it, it's, you're the lizard, but you're in his palace by his grace. Uh, that's a message, if you believe that in your heart, you cannot help but convey to your children. So, parents with the brain of an ant, right? they know what time it is. Parents with the brain of a of a coney, of a hyrax, of a rock badger. They know where their security is. Parents with the brain of a locust, they understand the significance, the survival need of, of community. And parents with the brain of, the, of the, 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 the lizard, they recognize God's grace. This is the greatest way to parent, isn't it? I mean, Dr. Phil and these guys may have some good stuff, but man, God's told us so much what we need to do. Would you, would you pray with me? And first, if you have never trusted Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe God's spirit is working on you. You just know, I, yeah, I've never, I've never done that. I've never asked Christ to come into my life. I've never came to him and repented of my sin. 
and thanked him for his death and resurrection for me on my behalf. You can do that right where you sit. Perhaps you have, but you know, you're kind of like the uh, rock badgers staying close to the rocks. You have wandered away. Mom and dad, you do not, the, the temptation, the danger is so great. Right now, we've got kids at home. You, the stakes are too high for you to go down. You need to get back to the rock. Lord, thank you that your grace is so good. It's so big that it even uses us. What amazing plan, uh, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would want to use us in pointing people to you, our own kids. I pray, we pray as a church for the young parents that you've given us as a body. Lord, would you protect them? Would you protect them from from hell's attacks? Would you open their eyes, help them to see what what they need to see, um, to understand your word in the busiest time of their, their life? May they see the significance of what you call them to. And Lord, we pray too, as we would worship you, as we give a little bit back of that which you've given to us, would you use it to strengthen them, to strengthen the message here and abroad, God, that there's so much more important in this world than what people are living for. And his name is Jesus. Would that go forth, we pray in his name. Amen.